Welcome to TLD Talks, where we share insights about key legal and business matters that are impacting SMEs today. Bringing together experts from a range of backgrounds, we'll be tackling the issues that matter to you. I'm Ed Simpson, CEO of The Legal Director, and I'm joined on today's podcast by one of our very experienced client legal directors, Amanda Malander. And we're going to be having a chat about all things GDPR. So hi, Amanda. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. For the benefit of listeners, could I ask you please to introduce yourself and your practice at TLD? Hi, Ed. I'm Amanda Malander. Um, I've been with TLD for five years now. I basically cover all areas that you might expect a general counsel to look after. So that's everything from uh, negotiating contracts, commercial contracts, to drafting terms and conditions, employment, obviously GDPR issues, which we'll be touching on today, um, and company secretarial matters. Fantastic. Thank you. So as mentioned, we're going to be talking about GDPR. And the reason that we've selected this as a topic today is that there are some changes in the pipeline, which we will come to later on. But I think just to start with, to sort of set the scene, could you just explain what GDPR is and give us a sort of a broad brush explanation of the data protection landscape in the UK? Yeah, sure. So the GDPR refers to the General Data Protection Regulations, which came into force back in May 2018. I'm sure everyone can remember that. It was when uh, our inboxes got absolutely inundated with hundreds of emails asking us for consent to process data. Many people thought that they were actually new regulations, but in fact, data protection laws had been around for a number of years before that, but they were just simply out of date So the idea of the GDPR regulations was to update the data protection laws and ensure they basically caught up with the new technologies that had been introduced. Um, I think in terms of the overview of what data protection or GDPR is all about, it's all about protecting individuals' rights and making sure that they have control and access to the data that's being held about them. Okay, and so can you just run through some of the key concepts and principles. So things like personal data and processing, again, terms that I'm sure a lot of people will heard, but it'd be useful just to to get a quick explanation as to those key concepts. Sure. So personal data um, is data which identifies a living individual. That sounds quite simple, but actually it can be very wide. So the more obvious things are things like your name, your date of birth, your bank account details, but perhaps less obvious might be things like online identifiers, So details of what you've been doing online, your IP address, biometric or genetic data, health data. So really, it is very, very wide. And and the important thing about it is that if you could put together two pieces of information and from those information identify an individual, then those two pieces of information will be personal data. And the person who's identified by that data is, is called the data subject. And they're the ones really that data protection laws are trying to look after and protect. Great. And then what about processing? That's another term that's thrown around principally by, by data protection experts. But in general terms, what does processing mean? What does it cover? I mean, in summary, it's anything you can possibly do with data. And the reason for that is that they don't want people to be able to get around the data protection laws. So it would include everything from collecting Uh, sorting, editing data, 
even opening an email and reading it will be processing data. So it really is super, super wide. So the key takeaway for me from that is that GDPR data protection laws are going to apply to pretty much every business because every business will be processing some sort of personal data. So this is fundamental for, for all businesses. I think that's right, Ed. I mean, even if the business, its actual operational business isn't involved in processing personal data, it will, for example, be processing the personal data of its employees. So it is immediately a data controller and then caught by the data protection laws. So you just mentioned their data controller. That's just another couple of bits of terminology I'd like to dig into. So we have data controllers and data processes. Could you explain the difference between those? And how would a business work out whether it was a data controller or a data processor? And then secondly, do your responsibilities differ if you're a controller as against being a processor? So data controller is the party that decides what to do with the data. So we were talking about, you know, your average business with its employees a company will be the data controller of its employees' data because it decides what data to collect, how to process it, where to store it, how long to keep it, all of those kind of fundamental principles. The other side of it is a data processor. So traditionally, the best way of thinking of that is in, in the kind of context of the online services world. So somebody like Amazon Web Service, who gives you the facility to store data and looks after your data is a data processor, but all they're doing with that data is what you tell them to do, and they're not allowed to do anything extra with it. There are different rights and obligations between data controllers and processors, probably a little bit more detail for us to go into today than we want to. But yes, there are differences in in their obligations and rights. Okay. And the other thing I just wanted to touch on was what are known as the data protection principles. So there are eight statements in the data protection legislation that sort of summarise what businesses are supposed to do with the data that they're holding. Could you just touch on on the most important ones of those? Yeah, that's right. So as you say, there's eight, eight key principles. They're the kind of things that really, if you think about it, they're pretty logical and sensible. So they're things like data has to be stored safely. You can only use it for the purpose for which you collect it and for which you've told individuals you're collecting it. You shouldn't keep it for longer than it's necessary to hold it. So although it sounds like, you know, eight principles, there's quite a lot to comply with. I say they are really quite sensible. And again, they're aimed at protecting the individual's data that you're holding. Great. Okay. So having established that GDPR is going to be relevant to pretty much every business, what can go wrong if, and I'm sure none of the people listening to this and none of our clients would take a more cavalier attitude to GDPR, but what sort of things can go wrong? What would you say are the key business risks for not taking your GDPR responsibilities seriously? I think the biggest risk, um, and I think every business faces this, is a data breach. And I think the data breaches can be divided into two One is kind of an external attack, so the kind of cyber hacking that we hear about, um, you know, whether it's Russian or Korean or overseas cyber hackers and businesses being held to ransom and to have their data uh, released. So that's all about cyber security and ensuring that you've got the safety mechanisms to keep your data safe. But the other type of data breach, which is 
much more likely to be the scenario that the average business faces is due to accidental error by an employee. And the vast majority of the time, that's somebody actually sending an email to the wrong person. Sometimes that's a very, very minor issue because they've just accidentally copied somebody onto a fairly mundane email. But sometimes, for example, they might have an important attachment to that email containing bank details or payroll data or something like that. You can't eliminate those kind of human errors. Everybody's going to suffer them. But it's having processes and controls in place to try and reduce them as much as you sensibly can through things like um, putting delays on the sending of the emails or ensuring that if sensitive attachments are included, they're password protected and the password is sent separately. And then making sure that if a breach does happen, individuals in your business know what to do and how to tackle it. And I can't stress enough how, how invaluable that is, because in the moment, people tend to sort of panic a little bit. But having some kind of process to follow helps people be guided through the issue and enables them to address it much more effectively. Okay, so there's kind of multiple layers here. And this is all about your responsibility to keep the data that you're controlling, the data that you're holding safe and secure. So there's going to be some technical aspects to that in making sure that your systems are sufficiently robust to withstand hacking and that sort of thing. But then as well, some sort of internal policies and procedures like password protection. And then I guess also some sort of training for staff. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, some internal training, I mean, businesses should be training staff who process or or controlling um, personal data regularly. I mean, ideally, at least every year. And I think that kind of training of enabling staff to recognise when there's an issue and knowing what to do when something goes wrong is absolutely invaluable for all businesses. Okay. And tell me about the regulator. We often read about regulators having powers to fine companies within their jurisdiction that are not taking their obligations seriously. Where does the ICO fit into the picture? Yeah. So as you say, the regulators, the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, they're set up really to regulate data protection compliance across the UK. The important thing about the ICO is I think businesses tend to be quite frightened of them. But certainly for smaller businesses, what they're trying to do is encourage good data protection compliance. So their website is actually very, very useful. There's some really helpful guidance um, and templates on there that a smaller business can access and use. They've also got a very, very good helpline and they're really useful if you phone up with a query. They're able to give you either an answer to your query or some guidance or direct you towards some relevant documentation on their website that will help you. And I think the important thing to think about the ICO is their aim is good compliance. They don't want to be catching companies out. So they really do want to engage with businesses that are positively looking to improve their position and to help them do that. I think you hear the sort of um, nightmarish stories about enormous fines. And of course, those do happen, but they're really talking about the massive businesses like Google or Meta. They're the ones that the regulators are really going after. If you're a smaller business and you're looking to be compliant, then I think you should think of the ICO as a useful resource and guide. And then finally, on the sort of what could go wrong, key business risks, can we touch on subject access requests? So you mentioned earlier that an individual whose personal data you're holding is the data subject and data subjects have certain rights under GDPR in respect of information that's being held by them, and in particular these things called 
SARs. Can you just briefly explain what a subject access request is and the impact on a business that receives one? So you're right, Ed, any individual whose data is being held by a business can request a copy of that personal data. And on the face of it, that sounds like quite a a sort of simple request. But if you think about the complexity of your business and where you might be holding data, you might be holding it in Word, PowerPoint, in Excel, in Teams, in various CRMs, systems like WhatsApp or Slack. So when you have to start to collect personal data from various sources like that, it can actually be quite an onerous task. There's also always the risk of documentation coming up or information being found that's potentially quite embarrassing. So one of the things I um, say when I'm training in businesses is if you wouldn't want the individual you're making a comment about to hear that comment, don't write it down. Because if a subject access request comes in, you will have to disclose it. And that can be really quite embarrassing for a company. The other thing is that the timeline to respond is quite fast. It's only 40 days. There are certain circumstances when you can extend that deadline, but they are quite limited. And again, although 40 days sounds like a long time, if the person asking the data, for example, is one of your ex-employees, you really could be pulling out a huge amount of data. So it isn't actually very long. So you need, again, to train your staff and make sure that they can recognise a subject access request and that you have a process in place to know what to do when one comes in. So we've we've talked about the things that can go wrong and the, sort of the negative side of things. Can we just talk a bit about the positive impacts of sort of being a good corporate citizen and having a good compliance programme in place? What are the other sort of benefits other than avoiding those uh, nasties that can happen, what are the benefits of of having a good GDPR compliance programme in place? I think the most important benefit is understanding your data. You know what data you hold, you know where it is, you're sure it's up to date and accurate, and therefore it's much more valuable to you as a business than having old or inaccurate data. Another good thing is if you've deleted data you don't need anymore, you're not paying to store obsolete data. I think those benefits are really significant. And I think sometimes companies overlook just how useful that can be. The other benefits I think are that you are able to give reassurance to your internal stakeholders, like your directors and employees, that their data is being held and processed safely. And all of this will be an important part of your environmental, social and good governance strategy. Excellent. So if I'm a CEO or an FD of a small business and I've heard this and I'm encouraged to take action, either to find out what we're doing already or really kick off for the first time, where do you start with a compliance program? What's the first thing you would advise a business to do? Well, I think this um, this ties in with my previous response about understanding what data you have and making sure it's up to date. So I would start with something as simple as a data map. It's basically, that's a diagram which you draw out all of the places the data is stored, all of the third parties that are holding it for you. And I think this is a really crucial first step because once you understand what your data is and where it is, you can then build a compliance programme If you miss out that first step, I think you risk there being gaps in your compliance programme. And presumably as well as part of that mapping process, maybe it's the next step is 
identifying for each of those sort of groups of data what you actually do with them because yes. there'll be you know sets of data that you process in different ways I guess Yes, that's right. Once you've identified the data itself and where it is, you'd be looking into it in much more detail, saying which sets of data do we process in relation to which data subjects. And then you might be building up a program, for example, with different timelines to hold that data or different restrictions on who can access it. So we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that the reason for having discussion about GDPR today is because there are some changes in the works. There is, as I understand it, a bill going through Parliament. Is this Brexit related? Is this something that the UK is able to do because of Brexit? Question number one. And then question number two, whilst obviously it's a bill in Parliament, so we're not in final form at the moment, but what does it look like the changes are going to be? So on your first question, yes, I think it is Brexit related. Um, So when we left the EU, Uh, We're fortunate in that the EU has still recognised the UK as offering adequate levels of protection, which means we don't have to put in extra steps to transfer data between the UK and the EU. But what the UK government has done is said, we want to get rid of some of the red tape. And this new data protection bill is basically aimed at reducing some of the red tape that um, our government feels has been put in place by the EU. The difficulty for the government is, though, if they go too far and they've removed too many of the protections, the EU might start to say, well, actually, you need to put some extra protections in place before you can transfer data from the EU to the UK. And that would be disastrous for our businesses. So the government's trying to walk a really tight line between relaxing some of the red tape, but making sure that the EU still thinks that we're strong enough and good enough to allow the free transfer of data between us. So while we're walking that tight line, the bill's really a combination. There are things being relaxed. Um, For example, they're going to relax the rules around dropping first-party cookies, which has proved problematic for many smaller businesses. But on the other hand, they are going to tighten some of the rules, so particularly around nuisance or unsolicited phone calls to individuals. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, really, um, and it's definitely one to watch the progress of over the next few months. I think the key takeaway from it, though, is if your current data protection program is already up to date and compliance, you should definitely watch the progress of the bill. But I don't think these changes are going to be overly onerous or fundamental for you. But they may actually give you some opportunities to relax some of your procedures and you might actually get a few operational efficiencies out of it. On the other hand, if your data protection program isn't up to date I think now would be a really good time to start taking some steps to ensure it is and you can incorporate these new changes that are in the bill into that programme as you go along. Okay, and do we know roughly what the timescales are in terms of when it's expected that that might come out as a, as a new Act of Parliament? Well, it was actually supposed to have been introduced um, last year, but it was briefly pulled by the government and then it's been reintroduced and it's currently with the House of Lords. So I think it should actually be coming into force later this year. Okay. Well, as you say, definitely one to watch out for. And I'm sure we will be doing some more commentary on it when the final form has been agreed and we can understand what the real impact of of these changes are. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
If you enjoyed our discussion today, you can subscribe to our monthly TLD Talks covering a wide range of legal and management topics. You can also find TLD Talks on Apple, Spotify and Google. And the details are also on our website, www.thelegaldirector.co.uk. If you would like help with a GDPR compliance programme, or if you're interested in the wider work of the legal director and how a part-time legal director can save you time and money, then do give us a call on 020-3053-8613 or visit our website.